0: Welcome to the JMS Podcast. My name is Jorge M. Sanchez, and thank you for tuning in. Today's guest is Jesse Bryant. He is a musician I've met a couple times at the open mics around here, and he has a really interesting story, and I'm glad I had a chance to sit down and chat with him about him and his music. He has an upcoming EP, and he gave me a copy, and it's actually a very great, well-produced EP, uh, I must admit. That I was definitely bobbing my head when I was playing it in my car stereo so uh, Jesse Bryant your EP definitely passes the card test that is for sure and definitely stay tuned uh, because at the end of the interview he actually plays a song from the EP live here in acoustic session and it's a pretty kick-ass song so uh, that's another great reason for you to hang out and, and keep uh, listening to our conversation and other than that a uh, great guy all around he's like cool as a cucumber walked in and we chatted and once he started playing just one take I was like fuck this guy's like Steve McQueen kinda cool to catch my drift I've been watching that show uh, Atlanta and had this great episode with this bit about uh, Steve McQueen and uh, I'm not sure if you guys ever heard of the show Atlanta. It's on FX. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not promoting them. I'm not getting paid for it. But it's not so bad. I actually dig it. It's a little different. So, uh, so yeah. So, that's why I thought of that. I was like, oh, yeah. I think, uh, I think J.C. Bryan is as cool as Steve McQueen. But uh, he is going to play a song. I think I mentioned that. Where am I at this intro? All right. Jesse Bryant, our guest, he's playing a song for sure at the end of our conversation. Uh Uh-huh. And if you're listening in for the first time ever, thank you for tuning in. You can definitely subscribe if you're digging what this podcast is about on iTunes and also at SoundCloud and Stitcher or somewhere else. I don't know. It's weird. Lately, I found out that my podcast is actually being broadcasted through third-party hosting sites. So that's pretty cool. Um... So, hey, if you're using one of those sites, fucking hey, Why not subscribe? You can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. There's definitely extra material that's on there. In time with extra material, please check out the JMS Podcast official website. All you got to do is go to jmspodcast.com and you'll see the entire content that this JMS Podcast Network provides. Bada beam, bada boom. Just do it. Go now. You know what? You could do it while you're listening to this conversation. Really. And if you are uh, gracious enough to support this podcast and help me keep it running, you could definitely donate. You could donate through either GoFundMe or through Patreon. Either way, it's awesome if you do. I would definitely appreciate it and it would definitely help me uh, keep this podcast stable, financially at least, and at the same time invest into uh, more creative uh, content to start producing and putting out there and that involves uh, all the guests that, that come on board. Um, I, I have something cooking up right now for my poet guest, but as of right now, I mean, he, there's video content that shows uh, previous musical guests. You can also check out the uh, interviews I've done with the local restaurants. And I have a film crit- uh film review segment as well Jacob Wheels the official JMS podcast film critic so it's really nice you know where I can do just multiple things on this podcast and right now I'm working on something else another branch of it that helps um, highlight the poetic talent from my guests who come in who are poets and I'm really excited about it but hey just like everything else it takes money and time and uh, by people who donate to this podcast it definitely expedites the process So, thank you once again. Uh, And to to those who have supported this podcast from the beginning, thank you for tuning in. Alright, let's get to a conversation with Jesse Bryant. But before you do, guess what? Although his EP is being released in a couple days, you guys are going to get a first-hand look at one of the songs straight from the EP that's right. Oh my god, right? This is like the third musician who lets me do this. Which I'm, I'm really surprised that they even let me do this. But it, it, I'm super thankful that they do. Because it gives you guys an incentive to keep tuning in. You, you'll get first round uh, listens to upcoming stuff. And it's all good stuff. And this song that I'm about to play from the EP is called Trouble For You. And I think it has that bluesy, dirty, southern s- sound that I'm really digging. So here it goes. Without much further ado, here is Trouble for You by Jesse Bryant. This
1: ain't the blues. I never let a girl do me. If I did, I wouldn't tell you Maybe it's the truth I never thought it'd get this far Never get this far with you Why do I go through this trouble for you? It's not so darling anymore I know that I've been nothing but trouble for you What's this trouble for Anyway 23 days it's been Since I last spoke your name That ain't true but I believe it We both said No one's gonna win this game Said the first one to leave I go through this trouble for you It's not so darling anymore I know that I've been nothing but trouble for you Tell me what's this trouble for I'm so drained, my mind's gone blank I'm drinking just so I might feel it up Can't sleep So now you're driving over And you're sneaking in To pour yourself another I know the risks And I know what I want And I know I can't be calling But when you fly Too close to the sun I hope you feel like falling I know that I've been nothing but trouble for you but you always came back for more and now that i've been through this trouble for you i can't just walk you to the door
0: i really like this new d- this design that they're having on CDs now where it's uh, sleeves, like, like no more with the, with the plastic uh, cases? Yeah. It's all like paper sleeves?
2: Yeah, Um. well, whenever I was, like, figuring out um, what my CD case was going to be, um, I could choose between making four panels there, you know, front, back, and inside of each, or it would have to be, like, 12 panels or something, just whenever I was putting it all together, and that just seemed like the simplest way to, to get the words on there, and... Um, not waste a panel with having like what they call a digipack, the plastic thing on the inside. Yeah. You know, you open up a CD case and there'll be a plastic thing on the right side mm-hmm. that the CD pops into. Right. And the panel behind it, you have to design it, but then no one sees it half of the time. <laughs> so like, I didn't want to waste my energy on
0: designing a panel that no one's going to look at. Yeah, man. And it's good for me because I-, I-, I pack my card CDs. And it's when I have these CDs, I could fit more CDs in my car. Yeah. As opposed to with, with the plastic cases, where I'm always struggling to fit them somewhere. And yeah. Like, it, it, when it comes to CDs in my car, it's all like um, it's like a hoarder's uh, uh deal. Yeah. Or it's just, it's just there's piles of CDs in my back seat. And I don't know what it is about those, but don't they
2: seem a little bit better for the environment than a plastic case? Oh,
0: most definitely. It's it's definitely more recyclable. Yeah. I guess. I mean. So if
2: if someone doesn't like it, they can at least. <laughs>
0: They could just shred it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? The first album I've seen, I bought and seen that was like this was one of the Black Keys album. Oh, really? And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I've seen a couple. I'm not sure if they're the ones with the trendsetters, but but yeah, yeah I don't for know. For me, that was my first uh, uh, paper sleeve album.
2: Yeah, I've seen um, a couple bands who who do that, and they seem like simple, but still like classy and stuff.
0: Ah. Uh. And with Jake Wickman, he had the, the plastic ones, right? He wanted that classic like the, look.
2: The jewel case, yeah. Yeah,
0: the jewel case. That's the proper word yeah.
2: for it. The only reason I know that is because I just went through the process.
0: Yeah. And I'm really digging the, the album art. Thank you. And you came up with it?
2: Yeah, so I was just trying to figure out what it was going to be. And I have a bunch of vinyls at my house, so I, I took all those records and I... Uh, put my favorite covers on the floor and then as I was separating them I was like, okay, I'm going to put all the the good ones over on this stack and I was taking it over to my coffee table and I looked down and I just saw like I guess I was just in album thinking mode, album cover mode and I saw the four glass squares of the coffee table and I thought that it looked really cool and I could um, probably put some props on there to make it a pretty cool album cover
0: And this is not your debut EP, is it? No, it is it is. Yeah. It, wow. Uh, and uh, t- how long did it take you to record? Um.
2: So we started working on it. We decided that we were going to make an album.
0: And, and this is you. Who, who are you partnering up with?
2: So uh, my friend Harry, who plays guitar on the album, he plays electric guitar in the album, and he and I have been um, playing music for a couple of years, working with um, some other artists, and then um, specifically this this one um, young lady who went off to college and so she went off to college and he said, Jesse, me and what we call the Shades of Grey, who are, um, play drum and bass on this uh, album, Brian and Alex, we are gonna have time on our hands, we wanna start working on your album. And so we decided last, last October that we were gonna do it and um, the first recording session was in December, the second and final recording session was in July and um, we just tried to put out a song, like a demo of a song every month between um, October and I guess July this year.
0: That's interesting um, that, that this is your first EP because when I heard you perform, you've already sounded and you play like a seasoned musician. Like you, yes. ha- you had that, that tone. Like I was like, yeah, this guy has, has it going on right now. Like I, I don't know who this guy was. But you you definitely have that that that, that bluesy sound uh, to it. Thanks. Um, well, I've been playing
2: open mics for about four years, and
0: wait, uh, you start playing open mics. So, how long were you playing music for? Um,
2: I well, I grew up playing piano, and then about um, twelve years ago, I picked up the guitar. Oh, okay. So I've been playing guitar for a long time, um, and I didn't start singing until a few years after I started playing guitar, and I didn't perform a lot for in front of people until, um, actually, I know it was 2012, because that was my New Year's resolution when I was living in Miami, which was find a place for you to go and play on a weekly basis, so that was my first uh, venture into open mics.
0: What were you doing in Miami?
2: I went to school there.
0: Uh, to the University of Miami? The University of Miami. What were you studying? Biomedical engineering. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. We talked about this a bit. Yeah, yeah, at the yeah. Forager. Yeah, yeah yeah you you, uh that's amazing stuff man thanks Uh, what what got you into that um well
2: it's kind of i happened into it because i had a a friend who i looked up to growing up who um was a chemical engineer and i was looking at schools in high school looking at colleges to go to and some of them just lumped chemical and biomedical engineering together Mm -hmm. and so i would apply to both I thought they were the same thing. And then when I actually learned what it was, you know, designing prosthetics or medical implants or surgical devices, I thought, oh, wow, that is way cooler than chemical engineering. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start studying that. And
0: how long has it been working out for you?
2: How long? How, well, um, I finished up grad school in Texas a few years ago, and then I moved out here. How, and, oh, hold
0: on. How old are you, man? I'm 26. You look super young. <laughs> well, 26 is... Actually, you're 26? Yeah, I'm 26. and You've accomplished far more than I ever have already in yeah. life. That's amazing. You already got through grad school. You're working in uh, prosthetics. Well, you have you're pulling out a knee pee. Man, you got good stuff.
2: Oh, thanks. Well, you got good stuff <laughs> happening. Um, yeah, uh, I appreciate that. Sometimes it just it doesn't feel like I, I've done enough, and so I just keep uh, charging forward with it. Um, but thank you. Hmm. Um. So yeah, I moved out here about two years ago uh, with a job. Uh, with a medical device company and I've been at a couple others since then um, but I guess it's working out pretty well
0: that's cool man mm-hmm. and you're from Florida?
2: yeah born and raised Miami? grew up in uh, central Florida in a town called Okeechobee
0: Florida okay um, people stereotype Florida men as being uh, what's, the, what's the word I could use for this uh, uh, different from the rest of the country <laughs> yeah Uh I'm trying for them polite terms.
2: No, no, it's fine. Uh, uh, that,
0: uh, some may say uh, a little fucked up.
2: Yeah, uh, certainly weird, weird, and, and <laughs> unimaginable in some ways.
0: Uh, how do you feel about that stereotype?
2: Uh, I'm, I don't totally disagree with it. Uh, <laughs> what uh, is it about Florida that like that shit just comes out of the headlines? Um, I think that you just have this. Um, first off. From north to central to south Florida and the coastlines, you have so many different people. Mm. And so I think it surprises people because you're used to, um, you know, what we call the snowbirds, all the older folks who retire in Florida. And um, so you you imagine the beaches. That's like
0: the Sarasota side of things, right?
2: Sarasota, basically all around the coast. Yeah. And then, um, but people forget that um, outside of Disney World and Miami and all these uh, retirement homes you have um true cowboys and true rednecks and it, when you get up into the panhandle especially like just the very middle of central florida uh, away from the coast you have these um rural communities and i think it just takes people um by surprise when when they're imagining all these old folks and you see this story about this guy who wrestled an alligator and walking through the woods and um I don't know, but I'll admit, the stories that come out of there are certainly strange. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And where did you grow up specifically again?
2: Okeechobee, Florida. Okeechobee. Yeah, if you look at... What kind of town is that? um, It's a small town. Um, It had about, uh, I think it has like 15,000 in the city and 40,000 total in the county. Mm -hmm. Um, I I like to tell people it has um, eight stoplights and 10 Baptist churches, uh, just to give them an idea of... So it's a real small town, religious, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: Okay. And what did your parents do?
2: Uh, well, my mom, uh, when I was growing up, she was a teacher, and she's now the uh, media specialist slash librarian at the high school. Mm-hmm. And my dad uh, was a lawyer growing up, and for the last 10 years, he's been the county judge.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. It seems like your family played a very integ- integral part in the community.
2: Yeah. 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 And my dad grew up there, and... Um, you know, we live down the street from people that he went to uh, high school with. And, um, you know, there's not a lot of schools in Okeechobee. So a lot of people, you know, were taught by or just knew my mom going through the school
0: system. Oh, man. And what kind of stuff did make you listen? What kind of music? Yeah, yeah. What, what kind of stuff were you listening when you were younger that kind of inspired you to, to who you are now? Yeah,
2: I think, um, I think the one CD that I remember the most is Jimmy Buffett's Greatest Hits.
0: Wow.
2: Um, I remember listening to that with my parents a lot. And um, and then James Taylor uh, is one of my mom's favorites. And uh, my dad listened to a whole bunch of stuff. I know we like Carlos Santana and Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Um, and some others I can't remember right now.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's a great mix to start off as a kid. Yeah. I'm sure you didn't really appreciate it till much later. Right. No, of <laughs> course not. Yeah. But, uh, and how many siblings do you have? Uh,
2: I have a sister who's four years older, and then um, I grew up with a brother who passed away about 12 years ago.
0: Oh, my condolences. Um, but uh, you guys were both into music. You said at a young age you were taught piano.
2: Yeah. So my brother, uh, seven years older, Um, He was playing piano for several years before I started but um, he's essentially the reason I started playing piano because I wanted to play like him and then um, he picked up the guitar and um, I wanted to learn guitar because he played it and then he passed before I ever got a chance to but I learned to play on his guitar.
0: Hmm. Natural causes?
2: What's that? Did he pass away? Oh um, yeah he had a spinal cord injury. Oh. Um, whenever, probably about thirteen years ago, and then um, he passed from complications from that about a year and a half later.
0: Okay, and and ever since then you stuck with guitar.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know when it, I had a piano at home, so I would still play that sometimes. But when I went off to college, guitar was definitely the the more portable of the two, and that's just been the thing I've had ever since. What
0: kind of tunes were you playing?
2: Um, well. I uh, learned guitar playing Jack Johnson songs, and then... Uh, Jack Johnson. Yeah, yeah, I remember that guy. Yeah. What, what happened to that guy? He's still... Uh, you know, I think he made his money, and he just... He, like, wanted to go surfing. He oh. made enough money to surf for the rest of his life. He tours a little bit, um, and uh, I think he puts out an album every couple of years, And but he's living a good life.
0: That's pretty amazing, you know? Like, people who uh, are into music and they're very humble Mm -hmm. like i don't need to go on stadium tours i don't need to be that celebrity yeah instead like they just make enough money and it's purely for the music and they just want to make a living off it
2: yeah well and for him i actually read an article recently that he wasn't sure if he could um feel right about touring knowing the because he's very into like saving the environment and and minimizing a carbon footprint but he realized that you look at the trash that's left behind at concerts and the gas that you burn um on tour buses and all the things that add up um that are bad for the environment when you go on tours he had this ethical dilemma where he wasn't sure if he could even continue to tour yeah and feel good about that's it. that's fascinating yeah
0: so how, how can the musician musician reduce his carbon footprint
2: yeah <laughs> yeah and so i think since then they've like they've Figured out a way for him to like still do a lot of good for the environment and tour at the same time.
0: Oh man, what are the tunes are you playing? I'm like interested in how you started. Because at what point did you go for that bluesy sound? Because um, Jack Johnson, I like the guy, but he ain't the, you know he's more of a pop kind of guy for me at least acoustic uh, pop.
2: Yeah. Um. Well, let's see. I don't really know how I started playing a, a bluesy sound um i wouldn't say that i play the blues because um that's a, a very certain type of musician that i would love to be but i'm not yet um but uh so g11 special sauce is a, a band that uh has toured and played with jack johnson so i got into them and um he has a style of music that he calls the hip-hop blues and so he has these very like rough bluesy rock sounds and then he's also a very very good acoustic blues player and i think that right there started getting me into just like some of the the bluesier undertones of music Mm -hmm. and um and then i really the first song that i wrote that was really bluesy is uh, always have someone it's the first song on the album and i don't know uh how that happened it's just I started playing the guitar one day, and and that's what came out.
0: <laughs> so it's like a natural thing for you.
2: Uh, in some ways, I'm I'm sure that it's been very influenced by the music that I listen to, without me realizing it. Um, but uh, I don't I don't strive to play the blues. I don't strive to play anything. I just all of my music is what comes out.
0: How how would you best uh, define your music?
2: Um, yeah, so that's a tough question. I and I should have an answer for it by now, but. Um, somewhere in the middle of country, folk, and blues and soul. Um, you know, my friend called it esoteric folk um, the other day, which I really liked. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, somewhere in that in the
0: middle of those genres. Mm-hmm. And, and all these songs, like, what's the culmination of these songs? Are these songs, like, you were in them years ago, or are these recent written songs? Um so the
2: first two I wrote years ago and always have someone always have the story behind that one so that one um so when I my last year in Miami um I was seeing a girl who told me she didn't want to see me anymore and um I was thinking oh I think that's fine like I'll just I'll just like text some other girl and then I realized, like, I no, but I still wanted to be with this person. Like, I could uh, go chase after other girls, but this is the person I want to be with.
0: And she just, she's like, no, don't, don't, don't call me no more.
2: <laughs> uh, she didn't have to say that. Once she said she didn't want to see me anymore, I just kind of let it be.
0: Ouch, that's gotta hurt.
2: Well, it wasn't super serious. No, no,
0: just college years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, that's pretty cool. Trouble for you? What's uh, how long did you write that?
2: So that one I wrote when I was in Texas, and that was, uh...
0: Whoa, what's the story there? What were we doing in Texas? I went to
2: grad school in Texas. So after I graduated from Miami, I went to Texas A&M, and I d- uh, did my grad school in College Station.
0: How was that experience going from Party Town, Miami, to Texas A&M, where um, it's like a whole different country?
2: Yeah, well, it was it was closer to Okeechobee than Miami was, as far as the culture is concerned. So, um, you know, I grew up in a fairly conservative uh, small cow town. I went to Miami, Party City, very liberal, and then I went back to uh, a smaller conservative cow town. So um I was pretty comfortable there.
0: Yeah. And I, I noticed that you're you're sporting the the, the Miami uh
2: Yeah. Well today's a very important day cuz this the is hurricanes. We play Florida State University today. Yeah. And so that's a huge rivalry. But
0: did you did you sport that wear when you were in Texas AM?
2: Uh, absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. How much shit did you get
0: for it? No, no shit. It was, no, Really? They, okay. they weren't
2: rivals, you know, and, and um, I definitely rooted for Texas A&M whenever they played, and I'd root for Miami whenever they
0: played, and uh, the two never played each other. Mm. Okay. And how was your experience in, in Texas, for the most part? It was great. Yeah, it was great. Um,
2: that's a really, really awesome university.
0: And were you involved already in the music scene in both Miami and Texas? Like, were you hitting up open mics? Were you, were you performing? Yeah.
1: yeah,
2: so in Miami, there were uh, two open mics that I went to regularly. Um, and one was right next to my house, like probably, you know, four blocks away, at this Irish pub called John Martin's. And after going there a few times, uh, the people who ran it also ran an open mic down the street at a club called uh, Jada Coles. And that was a more late night lounge open mic. And I was going to that pretty regularly. But um, I was only in town. After I started um, going to open mics, I was only doing it for about eight, nine months before I moved to Texas. And then in Texas, it took me four or five months to find the open mic sing there. Um, but I started playing at this cafe called Revolution Cafe, Bar and Grill, or something. And um, then from there, I started hitting up other open mics that people recommended.
0: Did you see like a difference in crowd?
2: Yeah. Yeah, and um, the main difference was the age of people. Um, In Miami, you had these guys who'd been playing for 40 years, and uh, they were just killing on the guitar. And then I would go to Texas A&M, and people were still good musicians, but they were younger, they were, um, you know, 18 to 30 years old, and um, they were good, and and they... um, nothing to take away from them, but it was in Miami when I realized that, oh, even if I never become a rock star, if I continue playing for the rest of my life, I can be that good one day. And um, I think, I don't know, I, I think that's a really important perspective for kind of a homegrown musician to not give up, because eventually you're going to be really, really good as long as you keep going at it.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's hard to believe. You know, I, I started playing guitar like two years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm so like I'm the worst piece of shit at this guitar <laughs> thing, but people keep telling me I'm gonna get better. Yeah, and you just <laughs> got to do it, and
2: you have to play things that you want to play. And and if it, you know, it may take you an entire week to learn a certain riff, um, but
0: once you do and you're playing it like you invented it, it feels really good. Mm-hmm. And then from Texas, you moved here. Yeah. And how was how not. And you got involved here with the open mic community. Mm hmm. When did that start for you? So,
2: um, I came out here originally for an internship. And I was here for six months. And I was living in Fremont. And um, I found this website that's not running anymore, but Bay Area Open or something. And, and so I was just, it had all the open mics in the Bay Area. And so I was just going down the list. So I found one that I liked. And. Um, I eventually found the Poorhouse Bistro. Oh, yeah. and
0: I dig that place.
2: Yeah, and that place reminded me a lot of where I originally started playing at John Martin's because it's an older crowd. Yeah. And these, there's incredible musicians that play there, and they've been playing a long time, and you can learn a lot from them. Mm-hmm. And the type of music they play is um, the type of music that I like to listen to. Um, so that kind of became my regular open mic spot.
0: And how long were you playing at Bistro before you... Because I seen you at Red Rock. Yeah. Before you moved on to Red Rock.
2: Yeah. Um, So I... Let's see. So last year, I moved to San Jose. I was living in Oakland. And last year, I I moved to San Jose. And I was really excited because I thought I'd go to the poorhouse. And I went there a few times after I moved there. I moved to San Jose. And... Um... It was just a lot different than it used to be.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Why do you think that is?
2: I'm, I'm pretty sure I know what it is. There was a, uh, a guitar player and performer there who used to open the mic, and he ended up moving to Buffalo. He's actually on this album. He's an incredible lap slide guitar player. And um, he and I, whenever I'd go up there, I'd always ask him to sit in with me because he's just phenomenal. He's a wizard on the lap slide. And uh, I'm really happy that he took the chance to get on this album. He's on "Don't Ask Me for Proof." His name's David Ebersol. Mm-hmm. And anyway, about last year, about summertime last year, he moved to Buffalo, and um, I think his presence at the at Poorhouse is certainly
0: missed. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how someone can set the tone yeah. on an open mic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then you moved on to other open mics around the area, mm-hmm. and then and then how was your experience here in the music scene in the South Bay compared to Texas and Miami? It's good. Um, I
2: think that there's certainly a lot more people who are trying to make a go of music in this scene than I saw in um, Texas in Miami. Since it was all older folks, I already had established careers doing something, or they were retired. So you know, music was still just a hobby, but. Um, at Texas A&M um, there were a few kids who were trying to make uh, music their career but for the most part is just um, hobbyists I guess um, but here there's certainly a lot more people who are, who are trying to establish themselves as a professional musician
0: Ah, that's interesting mm-hmm. especially in Mountain View I feel there's a, hu- a good group of musicians in Mountain View every, every time I go downtown on the weekend Mm-hmm. They're outside. I was like, this is fucking amazing. Like, these people that are playing outside.
2: Yeah, I know. And they're great musicians. And um, there's, I'm not taking anything away from them trying to make it. And I think that that's certainly a, a good thing to go for. I just know so there's more of them. Mm. Maybe in general, people are more serious about music, these mm. open mics.
0: How serious do you think you are about music?
2: Well,. I'm serious enough that I know that I, at the very least I want to be a six-year-old guy shredding it up at an open mic for a college kid, you, know? Yeah. Um, you <laughs> is, know? Is that
0: the dream right there?
2: That If that's the dream, that's still like a very... That's, that's a good That's a pretty good dream, yeah. you know? Um, but for me, I just want to... I want to be able to write music and connect with the people who enjoy the music I write. And I don't know where that will settle in terms of success mm-hmm. but um, if I can find that connection with people find people who want to continue to hear my music and I can continue to give them music um, I'll be happy.
0: Okay and, and so how, how do your family take it that you're into music? Like, Are they supportive for the most part?
2: Oh yeah absolutely um, they totally support it. Um, you know my parents are the ones who paid for um, piano lessons growing up.
0: Do they play music themselves? No. Oh, huh. okay.
2: Well, my dad played the trombone and oh, he has cool. a trombone that he'll pick up every once in a while I think.
0: What, what kind of music would he play?
2: I don't know, marching band marching stuff. Marching band? That's what he played in high school.
0: N- none of the New Orleans uh, brass band kind of stuff? Uh, well, he doesn't He doesn't play a whole lot. I don't... Um,
2: he would probably like that. I think he, um, he sat in with uh, a trombone player uh at like a cigar party. They were playing Domino. Oh. And and he pulled my fat, dad over to the fat side. Domino Uh no what's that? I don't, don't know. know. this is really bad. I don't <laughs> know who writes that song. No not not Fat Domino. Um uh the song Domino. Domino. Whoa Domino You know that song? Oh. Maybe it keep had, singing. Maybe well, it has the trombone part that goes dump. But da da
1: da da da
2: Oh
0: remember?
2: okay yeah. okay yeah yeah so it k- kind of a funky uh, song yeah, right yeah, yeah yeah um I think uh I want to say Van Morrison does it hmm. um probably gonna make a lot of people mad that I don't <laughs> off the top of my head know do things that but <laughs> right? um
0: you know anyway Van Morrison man yeah fucking hey that <laughs> guy I'm not sure if you if you're into Van Morrison I I uh sometimes
2: I will put on Van Morrison Pandora but I haven't done a lot of uh, like searching into Van Morrison.
0: Hmm. What, what, what kind of other singers are,
2: are you into? Um, well, uh, for the most part of college, I was super into Dave Matthews band. And since then, um, uh, I found some smaller acts, uh, that I really like. Uh, I really like the band of heathens. There's this band from Austin, Texas, um, that have just a really, um, eclectic sound they have you know some gospel some blues and rock and country mixed into them and um there's this band that i just discovered recently called sister sparrow and the dirty birds Mm -hmm. and they've got that new orleans uh horn sound that i really really like too
0: that's awesome dude let's talk a little bit about instruments what was the first guitar that you played on
2: uh that would be a washburn dreadnought Mm-hmm. Was that
0: an acoustic or was that an electric? was an acoustic, acoustic. Mm-hmm. How? how uh, what kind of gauge did you learn on? Um, I think it was like the heavy
2: stuff. Yeah, because right? that's what my bro- so was my brother's guitar, and so that's the um, I learned on his guitar, and yeah, it was heavy gauge strings and. I just thought that that's what I was supposed to learn on. And when I was learning... <laughs> you got to
0: punish your, your fingers, huh? It was... I couldn't... I could
2: only play every other day yeah. whenever I was learning on that. It was it was brutal.
0: Yeah. I thought the same way when I was learning. I was like, I thought I was supposed to have steel, uh, heavy gauge strings. Yeah. They're like, dude, what's wrong with you? You just started out. Like, yeah. You could have hurt your fingers. I'm like, I thought that's how you always
2: did it. Uh, yeah. And I thought that's like... I'm like gonna be a wuss and get the light stuff i'm gonna i'm gonna play the heavy gauge on here
0: yeah i didn't know that nylon strings were a thing yeah yeah and did you start with the pick
2: i did yeah
0: yeah yeah i fucked up there too because i i did not start with the pick I no i, was just
2: full I, I started with a pick and then <laughs> yeah uh you know i'll play some finger picking songs these days and you know if i go a long time without finger picking you know, the same calluses that I now have permanently on my fingers on my left hand, I get these, like, horrible blisters on my right hand mm-hmm. that don't ever quite turn to calluses because I don't fingerpick
0: enough. Oh, man. Fingerpicking, that's tough. This morning I was practicing, and... Do, do, do you have, like, like, an exercise for that to work it out, or do you just... Repetition?
2: Um, well, I don't do any practicing with fingerpicking other than playing songs that are fingerpicking. Mm-hmm. And um, I learned early on that a finger picking pattern for a song usually carries on throughout the whole song so the f- patterns I know are very specific to certain songs and I can you know if you can play it for five seconds you can play it for three minutes
0: What's another notion that's interesting in music playing is, is stamina like I'll be playing a riff or like a, some little finger picking uh, and after a couple bars I'm like I'm, I can't keep up I'm yeah. too tired my, yeah.
2: my, my fingers are too tired no absolutely uh, and that's why you get those uh, finger strengtheners, I guess. Have you seen those? No. What are uh, those? They're um they're little things that you can hold in your palm. They got an, and they have individual springs, um for each finger, and so you can just sit there and practice your finger strength by pushing down the springs.
0: I didn't know that was a thing.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, whenever I was in middle school, I used to take it to to school, and I'd keep it in my pocket, and I was just in class to kind of squeeze this little this finger strengthener
0: how did the kids at school take it
2: well it doesn't look like you're <laughs> it didn't look like I was strengthening my fingers whenever I was doing that so yeah.
0: what did it look like oh yeah okay is that where you're going so, so were you known around as the pervert in school
2: no no I stopped I stopped doing it after a little while
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. I stopped oh there goes Jesse with, yeah. the, with the thing yeah <laughs> down, down the hallway yeah
0: oh man And at what point did you move on to your next guitar? What's the guitar you have now?
2: Uh, I have two guitars now. Um, I have a Takamine Acoustic Electric that I got um, in 2006. Mm -hmm. And I played that for 10 years until just this last March when I bought a Marita.
0: How's that brand been working out for you?
2: I really like it. It's a a lesser-known brand, but they make beautiful guitars
0: and... um, yeah it's it's very easy to play yeah it's funny like you really when you go out and get guitars and this is something I, i'm recently found, like dis- discovering now that i'm buying my own stuff uh-huh. my own guitars it's like it's not like all guitars are the same like you really gotta mess around with them and you really gotta see how they feel and a lot of times you have to go upon that feeling yeah like although you know this guitar is a great brand Although, you know, like, everything technical about it is great. Mm-hmm. But if it just, just doesn't feel right, like, ah.
2: Yeah, well, first off, you have to play on it what you're going to be playing on When you go to a store, you can play, like, usually play the song that you've been playing most recently, the one that's stuck in your head. But you got to make a point to play the whole range of songs that you plan on playing with that guitar. And you play it for a while, and you decide whether or not you eventually like it. Um, but... A couple other things, uh, you gotta look at the type of wood that's made of, especially if you're gonna start really investing in guitars, because certain types of wood last longer than others. So some of them start to, they'll they'll chip easily, or the neck will start to warp. And so, whenever I was looking into my newest guitar, I definitely did a little bit of research on what exactly do I want to listen to and and look for in a guitar, because yeah, you're gonna spend a lot of money on something that you just said probably sounds the same as all the others.
0: Mm-hmm. What's the ideal kind of wood that you that you would want to get on a, on a guitar?
2: Um, well the different parts of a guitar have different um, you want different types of woods and off the top of my head I can't really remember. Mm-hmm. I know that the guitar I got has those woods you know you want a, a rosewood fretboard, um, you want a, a spruce top, um, you probably want mahogany, um, Sightings and or mahogany back or are like a strong wood for the neck stuff like that that lets you know that each part of the guitar is made with like the ideal material
0: oh wow i, d- I didn't even know that That's i didn't know far. it either
2: but <laughs> i decided if i'm gonna spend a lot of money on guitar i'm gonna make sure that i'm getting a good one hmm. songwriting how do you approach songwriting? i uh well i just try to capture any idea that i have first off whether it's a riff or a lyric or a melody um, I try to put it down somewhere whether it's writing it down or recording it um, and then whenever I have time I come back to it and I just kind of meditate on an idea or a particular whatever I, whatever piece I have I try to meditate on that until it grows into something bigger mm-hmm. um, a lot of times I will have um musically I just play around until I find something that I like um, and it all fits together but for lyrics I try to have a, a like a goal for the song or like a, a, a main topic of the song and I just concentrate on that until I find an angle on it that I really like and then I usually write a bunch of words and then scratch out a bunch of words until something sticks
0: mm. Do you feel like uh, when you You changed as a songwriter over time?
2: Yeah. I think my biggest change is that I can finish songs now. What do you mean by that? Well, I used to... My cousin and I talk a lot about um, play music, and, and he and I used to play a lot growing up. He's one person who taught me how to play guitar growing up. And he and I would always talk about writing songs, and we both said, like, we just have, like, hundreds of pieces of songs. And we can never... Like, we would never turn it into a full song. We would just have these pieces of songs. And then um, I wrote a couple in Miami and Texas. But it wasn't until I moved out here and I took a songwriting class at the Freight and Salvage in Berkeley hmm. taught by Jim Bruno. Um, and it was a six-week course and we had to write a song every week. And that's pretty tough. especially it's like boot camp for musicians. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. And so... Um, I learned, you know, within a couple of weeks, the amount of time, the, the type of mood I need to be in to write a song, like, just I know I need to kind of isolate myself and, and just really focus on the idea of the song and, and spend time with it until it, it, it kind of uh, settles down into, you know, a final song.
0: Did he also go over structure and such like that? Verses, then the bridge,
2: and all yeah. that jazz. Yeah, and, um, excuse me, um, a lot of the songwriters I found in the Bay have very specific, specific ideas on what a chorus is supposed to do, and what uh, a verse is supposed to do, and what the bridge is supposed to do, and um, I do find myself like straying too far away from those particular definitions and, and roles, but um, I think sometimes they're a little bit too exact. Yeah, and songwriting
0: well I think the biggest difference is um, production of 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 an album or a song you know Mm -hmm. is is this a big studio that wants a a catchy pop song those have their own structure yeah then there's are those who just want to make their own sound Mm -hmm. I mean I don't think we would have great musicians such as Bob Dylan or U2 or, or these other ones who stuck to the rules yeah of songwriting yeah. If you think about it it's, a, it's a, I feel this whole institutional teaching of music and not just music but of other creative stuff mm-hmm. it's fairly new in human history considering that we've come a long way at least as entertainers yeah I mean the first blues players it's like yeah well who, who taught them how, how to write a song well
2: you know I think about really the first music that I I think about as far as like history goes, is classical music. Um, like orchestral stuff? Yeah, like Mozart and Bach and Beethoven. And I know there was music before then, but whenever I think of old music, the first thing I think of is classical music. Um, and if you look at... I guess if you just kind of look at, at how music has changed since then, there was probably like a very long time that classical music was the music. Mm-hmm. And then there was a shorter time where you had like... Uh, Like in the 20s when you had jazz music, you know, and and that was popular for a couple decades. And then, you know, as time goes on, I think, like, the main type of music that people want to hear changes more rapidly.
0: Now, do you feel there's a common denominator in all these uh, phases? Like, who is this music for? Who is consuming this music? uh,
2: You know, it's really tough because I, you know, you had... Uh, benefactors and people who were paying for the musicians to live and write music when Mozart and Beethoven were were composing.
0: Such a great system huh?
2: Yeah <laughs> yeah. And then um, you know in the jazz clubs you had basically the people who came to dance and see Duke Ellington were the people who paid for it, right? So that was that context that was basically. You performed at a club, and that was your living. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as recording became more easy and more prevalent, um, music turned into this thing that I could hand you that CD, and so that was how I would make money is selling CDs. And um, these days, uh, it's you know there's a lot of arguments about how the best way for a music to a musician to make money. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah, we're kind of hitting a whole new era yeah. of entertainment, how we consume it, yeah. really. What's your thought on those, about streaming and such like that?
1: Well, um,
2: so my my album was funded on Patreon. Um, I, had, I was lucky enough to have a group of people who um, helped me uh, get the studio time for this album. And with that, I've seen a lot of people who are very successful on Patreon... And I think that we're, we could possibly get back to, um, that kind of benefactor, patron, um, I don't know, system of funding art. And because right now streaming is great for the Taylor Swifts and, um, you know, like all those top 40 folks who are going to get several million, um, uh, streams of their songs but it's still not gonna be like their main source of income
0: touring is where the money's at
2: yeah yeah and then I'm sure like you know they do have album sales I don't know how many people buy albums these days actually and uh, it's gone down the last couple of years but it's enough for them to you know make a living off that too
0: but for someone like you, what's the best approach do you think
2: I think. Um, I really believe in uh, Patreon, and I, I say that because I see a lot of other musicians who are really, really good, and they're able to um, you know, put their content up there and make it available to people who want to support
0: it, and it seems like a really great medium to do so. Do you, do you ever feel like maybe Patreon does have those positivity, but do you feel there's a kind of pressure behind it as well, to keep producing content? Um,
2: I think so, but... Uh, the pressure, I think the artist feels that pressure with or without Patreon. And I think that's the important thing. I think the important thing is that you have to be someone who's going to create content regardless of whether or not someone's going to pay you for it.
0: Yeah. Because for me, I'm a filmmaker more than anything. Mm -hmm. And when I make short films with my own money, I'm like, I'm like, fuck it. This may be the worst shit ever, but I don't care. I'm just producing content. Mm Mm-hmm. But when I have went into a uh, crowdsourcing for like any other projects, I get more worried than ever because I'm like, this is other people's money. Yeah. I want to make sure this shit's good. Yeah. You know, I want to make sure this is somewhat marketable. And and for me, it's just, I mean, I have always appreciated those who support me and give me money to do creative stuff. But at the same time, I'm worried about it. I'm like, all right, like, what if I just want to take a break from this? Is that fair for them? Is that fair for me? Or yeah, am I overthinking? It? What do you think?
2: Well, it depends, and so uh, there's different type of types of crowdsourcing, and uh, there's Kickstarter's, there's GoFundMe's, and and the reason I really like Patreon is because it is listen, I create something, and then you you would pay me, right? It's not like pay me first, and I promise I'll make something, um, and so uh, it's still driven by the artist to put out art whenever he can um and as far as you know wanting to make sure that it's as good as possible you know maybe that should be my mo all the time but i find it helpful i think that because other people are somewhat depending on me to make good stuff i think that raises my expectations of myself to to make make sure that whatever i'm putting out is as good as possible
0: how do you work out balancing having uh full time job that you have in in the uh, uh i guess you would say the medical field mm-hmm. and music Because like, that itself must have been time wise yeah a constraint
2: yeah no uh it sucks uh <laughs> it really does um but you know I find time when i can you know i I understand you really as much as um having uh Patrons support me on this album. I realize that me having uh, a real full-time job is also very responsible. Like I have to give credit to that for me making this album as well, because I'm very fortunate that I have um, a normal job, because I see a lot of artists and at open mics who who don't, and they wouldn't have the resources to make this album, um, and so being said I realize that that is gonna come first and I have to devote a certain amount of time to that and then other than that I just try to steal time to make music when I can and so sometimes that means uh, on my lunch breaks I'll go and I'll mix a song together um, or whenever I'm riding, to, riding on the train to and from work that's where I'm writing my lyrics um, or it means you know whenever I get off work I go home and I play guitar for an hour um, you know, and it's been really tough to balance, um, but it's what I got to do.
0: Do people in your, in your line of work know you play music?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How's that working out? <laughs> uh, it's good. I think, um, it's been something that I've challenged myself to to share with my coworkers, uh, because i I don't want think I don't want them to think that I'm telling them I make music just to tell them I make music or because I'm expecting anything out of it but I've become close with a lot of these people and, you know, this is a part of my life that I certainly want to share. Um, And so there's some folks that I'm closer with at work that whenever, like, my album came out, I gave them a copy. And um, there was actually a moment at work where uh, things were rough for a coworker, and I went into her office and it was a day that I had released something on Patreon and I knew that's important to just, like, Steal a couple minutes at work, not thinking about work, you know. So I went into her office, and I just said, "Hey, like, I know things are pretty shitty right now, but did you know that I write music? And this is a song that I wrote, and I I haven't told anyone at work about it. That's pretty dicey,
0: right? Yeah, that's true. It's like, hey, I know you're going through shit, but check out my shit. Well,
2: (laughs) I think I think it was more important for me to like distract her from like, well, not just to distract her, but to like to remind each other that we're human beings. Yeah. You know, and it's and outside of work, um, we are there's a lot of things going on outside of work. And I didn't say, Hey, be a patron. <laughs> I said I said, Hey, this is a song that I released this morning uh-huh. and I just think that you should take a few minutes and not think about work and this will be a secret between you and me. And she ended up really, really appreciating that.
0: Oh wow. That's really good, man. See and Where do you build up this confidence to share stuff like that? Um, I'm sure it must have taken years, right? Or was off the bat we already, hey, check out my music? No, it took a while.
2: Uh, I remember the first time I played a song that I wrote at an open mic. um, I was I was really nervous about how it would be received, um, or if it wouldn't be received at all. But I remember looking at the faces or watching the toes tapping while I was playing it at John Martin's. Um, and I realized that people could actually like I could write a song that people liked yeah Um, it's always a good sign yeah
0: when when people are moving yeah I I get happy yeah it's like oh my god like they're actually head bobbing even if it's one
2: person if it's one person who's like just like swinging their foot to it I'll just like focus on that person you know that (laughs) would be the only person on the road yeah (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I think the most important thing is that I and I hope other artists realize this that uh, you have to believe in your own music, and I certainly believe in the music that I can create and the music that 's on this album um and If it weren't for that i i wouldn't bother with any of
0: it hmm. wow okay i I still have a long way to go then i don't know
2: well i you know maybe it's a little bit of recognizing that you're your own worst critic and that the stuff that you're creating
0: is actually good. Hmm
2: and
0: um, what was the turning point for you to realize that that mentality of like hey this is actually pretty good what I'm doing here
2: um on a consistent basis it was probably uh after I took that songwriting class because oh. I took I wrote three or four songs in the span of you know like a month and a half that I thought were really good that um, I liked a lot and then I realized oh I can I can write these songs and play them for strangers, and they have good things to say about them. Um, for the most part, I think before then, I I was just kind of like arrogant about my music with nothing to show for it. How so? Um, I would I would hear things on the radio, and I'd be like, "Oh, that music is so dumb. I could have I could have wrote that song." oh shit (laughs) you know I would think that but then at that point I'd never written a song before you know and I think there's a lot of people out there like that who are like yeah I could write that but no but you didn't you know that person did write that crappy song if it is crappy right Um, and so once I kind of started putting myself out there I realized that uh, it is it does take a lot to put your music out there and then um, I have a new respect for songwriters in general um that i don't get those feelings like oh i could have written that song um yeah
0: well it's interesting that this class really humbled you yeah yeah well because uh, you were right there in the fucking trenches like like uh, i think in, in most creative fields it's easy for for a- anybody who's not involved in the uh actual craftsmanship of something mm-hmm. to be like oh yeah that painting it's it's whatever i like the colors but you know to be a painter and to be in the trenches and be like what brush should i use or how much time or yeah. whatever technique yeah and, and once you're in that you, you, the perspective definitely changes yeah which is why you know me for film it's like when I hear someone trying to be a, a, a film critic without making a film, it's like, well, fuck you. How about you make a film first and see how that works out? Cause, yeah. Because it, for me, when I judge films, I'm very... Even if it's a shitty film, I, f- I appreciate it in some way. Yeah. Because I know it's like, this person went through a lot of trouble just to get this shot, to get this location. Yeah. So I am I have like a, like a soft spot for that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm in music, same thing. It's like, oh, I'm learning the guitar. Oh, man, it's not that easy. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, like... And I have a whole new respect when I go to an open mic because so I get inspired. You know, like people yeah. like you and others who are like, well, these people live around here and it's like, they're doing great stuff. And and like I said, you really, to really appreciate something, you really got to get down and dirty and get in the trenches of things.
2: Yeah. Yeah, certainly after I started writing more songs, um, I, I gained a new respect for songwriters of any genre. Um, and... I think it was because I, I always thought that well if I just spent time writing a song, I could write a good song. And so I've had times where I sit there and I write for like days and I don't have anything good to show for it. Like I'll spend a lot of time on something and that I end up not liking it and I scrap it. Mm-hmm. you know so I know that um, it's really tough and sometimes you're lucky and a song is received and it comes to you in five minutes and other times you'll sit there and you'll go through, you know, ten pages of, of scratched out lyrics before you find something that's halfway decent.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's how it goes. i had a lot of those moments where you're like, you're like, you spend a song like for like a month and you're like, yeah. damn it, it's not going nowhere.
2: What I think I have like, sometimes I think I have like really great ideas for songs, like concepts that would be a great song and I just try to, put it together with this bigger idea in mind and it just never works out
0: mm. yeah well what well, you said something before where you, you and your cousin you're like oh, we made great portions of songs mm-hmm. great you know little snippets but never a full song I think I could relate to that on a screenwriting level mm-hmm. where I have such great ideas for scenes specific scenes yeah but maybe not for an entire movie yeah and that's something I had to learn uh sometimes the hard way of like sometimes your idea sucks but it does not mean you should get rid of the idea right it just means yeah. you should try to find a way to utilize it differently mm-hmm. you know put a different function to it mm-hmm. and I'm sure that's related to music as well it's like well, well maybe this riff doesn't work for this song maybe there's another song that I'm working on yeah awesome
2: yeah I always think about uh, this interview with Death Cab for Cutie and they were talking about recording this album and they said well, this song has a really great kick drum. You like the drummer? That was a great kick drum on the song. But does this song really need a kick drum? And so you can come up with things that, by themselves, seem really great, but they just don't fit in a song, or it's a scene or a shot in a movie that it's a great technical thing, and it just doesn't fit for that particular project.
0: Right. And did you have any of those epiphanies with this latest EP? Um.
2: I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I will say that some of these songs, um, w- I wrote the pieces years ago, and they came back um, on the second song, Trouble for You. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that chord progression I wrote back in 2008, and then it wasn't until 2013 that I, I turned it into a song and then um, Waiting for Your Kisses uh, that's another one that I I wrote the chord progression in Texas back in 2012, 2013 and I, it wasn't until this last year that I was able to finish it and put it into a song
0: Alright man that's pretty cool uh, we're near the hour mark uh, I think the last thing I, I want to ask you is uh, if you go back in time when you were that kid who picked up, who went from piano to guitar. What's some advice you would give yourself? Um,
2: I would have, I would have encouraged myself to start writing a lot earlier. Um, just if I could have somehow given myself a homework assignment like I had in that songwriting class, and said, basically, Jesse, in a month you need to have three songs written. Um, and I had done that in high school.
0: Um, who knows how many songs I would have written by now? So just keep writing. Just keep writing. Fascinating. And where can people check out uh,
2: your EP? Well, um, it will be released on CD Baby on October 11th, and maybe that day and short or shortly after, it'll be available on all digital retailers. Uh, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify for streaming, and um, if you want to kind of check out some behind the scenes stuff, you can find my Patreon page at www. Hmm. <laughs> you're like so serious, man. It's like
0: <laughs> you, you get, such like I don't know how, how do you take in this thing once you recorded an EP and you're, and you're and you're gonna release it. Like, how? what's going through your mind right now? Um, well.
2: I don't know I just I, I just want as many people to hear as possible huh. um, I feel like that's a pretty common thing to say but um, I think that you know I am really proud of the songs on here um, and there are moments on the CD that um, like musical moments that I think can hang with the, the best of best of them You know like uh the last minute of this cd i'm not even playing it's just uh, my friend chris on piano and um alex on bass and this guitar player named john farrell that we got in got to play with us and he um i could listen to that last minute so it's
0: it's an instrumental
2: track well yeah no it's not an instrumental track it just has a really long outro Mm -hmm. but i I think that I'm, i'm really proud of this cd and um i hope that people give it a listen and and um See what they think.
0: You seem so calm and collective. Are, 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 are you always as calm and collective?
2: I, I've been told that um, I keep my cool, but uh, you know I am kind of nervous about how it'll be received. Yeah. But I, like I said, I believe in my music. I'm very proud of it. I've put a lot of work into it, mm-hmm. and I think that anybody who has put in the time and the practice and the energy into something like this should be comfortable with how you were going to receive it.
0: Uh, how uh, I think in the beginning I asked you how long did you record this? Did it take a month or a couple months?
2: Uh, well, it took me a year to put it all together.
0: Really? To, to go in the recording studio and mixing and all that?
2: Oh, the actual... So I was writing... I started writing um, some of the songs last October. Started getting the idea for the album, but the actual production of it, um, we had... Um, six hours in December, six hours in July, and then between cleanup, mixing and mastering another, um, six to seven hours. Um, so, you know, total of almost 20 hours of studio time to go into this half hour CD.
0: Mm. What studio did you go to?
2: Tone Freak Studios in San Jose, and, uh, it's run by... Don and Steve Glace I don't know I think I don't know Don's last name but
0: Is, the, is that the one on Stevens Creek?
2: No it's on um, Martha It's just south of downtown oh, yeah. San Jose It's by
0: the Citadel It's uh, So somebody mentioned to me that there's a, a little uh, studio recording place okay. Yeah
2: there's a couple people I've run into that have recorded there It's funny it's um it's right next to a, a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu dojo Mm-hmm. And, or whatever the gyms are called. It's literally down the hall from it. So you go up the stairs of this warehouse, and you can turn right, go to the BJJ studio, turn left, to go down the hallway to the studio. And as you're walking down the studio, the hallway to the studio, you're just hearing people get slammed yeah. onto the ground. Did,
0: did, uh, any, did any of that sound get on the on the EP?
2: I wish. That would have <laughs> been a cool a cool like, Easter egg. <laughs> in get, it, like, but...
0: Somewhere in the background? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I mean, it is a, a good studio, and they... They uh, have soundproof walls and stuff, so they're professionals.
0: <laughs> all right, awesome, man. And you're going to lead us out with the song, right? Yeah, yeah. What's right. a, What song are you playing for us? Uh, this one's called Renaissance Man. Renaissance Man. Yeah. What's, uh, what's the story behind this one? Um, well,
2: uh, it's a song about finding someone who might not be happy with where they are in life and encouraging them to break away and come with me. <laughs>
1: been too kind, and you can't find a deal, you ain't already signed, but I could be your brand new start and save you misery, if trouble's tugging at your heart, keep your wild eyes on me, if there ain't no heart in your home. has turned to stone If you're left behind in someone else's plan I will be your Renaissance man the hall and paint everybody's dreams the blank spot on the wall is where yours used to be but I could be your grand design if you hold me like your shield and sword for you to battle time and I would never yield if there ain't no heart Your bed has turned stone. If you left behind someone else's plan, oh, I will be your. in your touch and the winter on your kiss